This podcast episode of Vatican U is brought to you by St. Joseph Shop of Batesville, Indiana. Find them on Facebook at St. Joseph Shop. St. Joseph Shop takes all recycled spiritual items, repairs rosaries, and can even build a rosary out of your grandmother's jewelry. And if you're fortunate enough to shop at the Batesville, Indiana store, expect to get sprinkled with holy water on your way up. Connect and ask questions at St. Joseph Shop on Facebook. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Vatican U Radio, a weekly walk through the teachings of the church, right smack dab in the middle of everyday life. Can you imagine giving four priests microphones and telling them <laughs> to talk about the church and about our teachings? Well, we're really glad you joined us, and we have an exciting show lined up for you today because the last, gosh, five months, we've been walking through the Second Vatican Council's document, the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium. We've had a lot of fun along the way, but you are joining us today on our wrap-up show where we talk about the document kind of in a broad sense and sort of wrap up what we've been talking about before we launch into something new. We're really excited that you're with us. We're kind of surprised that people are still with us. And it turns out we've had over 5,500 streams of our shows. Shout out to all of you for being with us and uh, being on this wild journey with us. So as we get started today, uh, we'll check in with our co-hosts. We are missing one co-host today. Uh, Father Jerry Bird is not with us today because he is getting ready for his installation as pastor, which is really exciting. Uh, Archbishop Tobin is driving down to Jennings County uh, to celebrate his installation, and uh, he's scurrying around dealing with all the details, getting ready for that. But uh, with me, Father Sean Whittington, we have our two other co-hosts, Father Chris Molesky and uh, Father Alan Carter. Woo-hoo. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. So, Father Chris, how are things going up in the the great northern part of Ohio, up in Toledo, almost Canada? Well, uh, life is a little stressful right now, but as of the airing of this show, I will be a completely new man. Um, <laughs> and that's because uh, when this airs on Saturday, my high schoolers will have taken all of their exams and be off on Christmas break. And one of those great secrets that you don't learn until you're older is the teachers are looking forward to the break much more than the students are. (laughs) I understand that. I taught high school for about a year and a half, and I was more excited than the kids on that last day. Oh, yeah. So that's great. Uh, Father Allen, how are things down in Lexington, UK territory? Things are awesome here. School is wrapping up here on UK's campus. Um, Had a great party here. It wasn't really a party. It was just some of the guys from the Newman Center that came over to the rectory last night and helped Father finally begin to make the the Benzinger house look a little bit Adventish, preparing for Christmas-ish because that hadn't happened at all. I sat down early on uh, Monday, which is my weekly day off this week, and did my Christmas shopping finally, which is, you know, thank goodness for the internet because I can do 98% of it sitting with a cup of coffee in my PJs at my rectory desk. How awesome is that? Um, so things are really good. I, I have to say, though, I'm really interested in figuring out how Father Jerry's, it wasn't a wardrobe malfunction that he was struggling with. It was a liturgical <laughs> device malfunction. And so I'll be interested to see the pictures of that installation to see how that <laughs> we, we sent him a couple of really good, fraternal, loving suggestions by text message, and maybe one or two of those will work its way into his final solution. 
Well, <laughs> his final solution. Well, he did have a wardrobe malfunction on on Saturday or Sunday morning. Oh no! Yeah, Uh-oh. he was uh, rushing to get out of the rectory to uh, seven o'clock confessions before his seven thirty Sunday morning mass. And now I'm very sympathetic to this because I've done this too. But he slammed his cassock into the rectory door, but kept walk. No, he hooked his cassock on the doorknob and kept walking and ripped oh. it up the back. <gasps> Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a rough, rough way to start the day. You can't see this, but I have my hand in the air, waiting in in anticipation of being called on to ask a question. I call ooh, on ooh. Father Allen. Um, um, do we know what Father Jerry was wearing under his cassock when said incident happened? Well, I know during the summer he wears basketball shorts a lot. So, <laughs> it, um, and since we've had these unseasonably warm. Uh, days here in December, my suspicion is it was probably basketball shorts. That is totally awesome. I, is... Sl- I slammed my cassock into a door that was locked one time and kind of got hung up on the back porch of the rectory trying to figure out how I could twist around the right way to get the keys out of my pocket I couldn't quite get to because <laughs> I was all hung up in the door. People don't realize, but we should get hazard pay for wearing cassocks. Yeah. You know, one of these days when they make the TV show story of Vatican U, its early days, episode one, you know, like the first of the three trilogies that'll be released, that'll be one of those scenes in the early beginnings of the show, before they were the Vatican U hosts. And and even since we were the Vatican U host, we still... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's all good. Father Chris, save us and lead us in prayer. Pretty please. Absolutely. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Be with us as we discuss what Sacrosanctum Concilium means to us, and we end this part of our show recognizing that you have in store for us a great new beginning. Be with us, guide our conversation, and in all things may you be glorified. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Very good. Well, we don't have a part of the document to actually do a two-minute drill over this week, but since we're looking at the whole document, I thought maybe what we could reflect on is just a little bit about how the story of Sacrosanctum Concilium kind of wrapped itself up in the life of the Council. I'm going to read here just a little bit from... Um, a book entitled The Inside Story of Vatican II that's just a fascinating read. I'm not a scholar enough to be able to speak to its accuracy, but it was a great read for me to begin to understand just how all of these things that we're looking at that were results of the council worked their way through the process. Um, And so in this book, uh, this is how it's characterized the, the final approval of the document. It says, the final formal vote took place on December 4th, the closing day of the second session of the council in the presence of Pope Paul VI. In his address, the Pope pointed out that the first schema to be discussed by the council had been the one on the sacred liturgy, and the subject was also, quote, in a certain sense, the first in order of intrinsic excellence and importance for the life of the church. The new constitution on the liturgy, he said, would simplify liturgical rites, make them more understandable to people and accommodate the language used to that spoken by the people concerned. There was no question of impoverishing the liturgy, the Pope said. Quote, On the contrary, we wish to render the liturgy more pure, more genuine, more in agreement with the source of truth and grace, more suited to be transformed into a spiritual patrimony of the people, end quote. 
Ballots had meanwhile been distributed, and the Council Fathers were asked to vote for or against the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. And this is what I think is amazing. All the bishops gathered. This is their second session. The author of this book reports, the results were speedily processed and announced. 2,147 votes in favor, only four votes against. There is a, there is a, a, a leader of the movement here. That his name is Bishop Zonier. Now, Bishop Zonier was uh, the Archbishop of Linz in Austria, and he was a, um, elected to the liturgical commission that guided the council, or this document through the conciliar process. He was elected to the commission himself by over 2,000 votes, an overwhelming um, endorsement by his brother bishops to lead this process. More votes to be put on any of the commissions than any other council father for any other commission. And he characterized these four important aims or principles that he believed were part of the conciliar uh, process for this document and guided the conversations all through it. Four important aims or principles reflected in the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. And here they are. The first is that divine worship must be a community action. That is, that the priest should do everything with the active participation of the people and never alone. The second principle the bishop reported was that the faithful must be enriched by sacred scripture directly and not only through sermons. He says, every liturgical function, including the marriage rite, will now include readings from sacred scripture. The third principle that, that he felt like the bishops were trying to elucidate in the conciliar work was that through liturgical worship, the people should not only pray, but also learn. Um, and we've talked in earlier shows about that ancient principle, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi, and making that more of a possibility was part of the Council Fathers' desire in their work. And then the fourth and final principle that he reported were that uh, really related to enculturation or adaptation. His quote is, where there are tribal customs involving no superstitious elements, these may now be introduced into the liturgy. This process known as adaptation, he says, may be carried out only by the authority of an Episcopal conference assisted by experts from the liturgical areas concerned, and approval by the Apostolic See is to be required before such adaptation may be put into effect. And I just thought as we were beginning this conversation on the whole document, it's nice to see, first of all, that overwhelming support from the bishops gathered um, together in council but I thought those four principles might be a good jumping off point for us because it seemed like that wrapped up our conversation that we've had over these months in terms of the whole document. So that, that might be a good place for us to start, gentlemen. I, I, I think the summary there is pretty insightful. I suppose that people looking back might might pick four different things in that or some uh, that are, are those and some other ones. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, having read the document, I may not have picked those four. but. I think before we even get into this, one of the things that, that we have to be clear about is a lot of times when people look at the at this document and they talk about the liturgy, there tends to be in some quarters of the church a sort of definitive statement that this Second Vatican Council's document it has put it into this perfect, pristine era of the church and everything that went before it was bad, mm. or other people saying everything that happened after this document is bad and everything that happened before is good. Mm -hmm. And if people are looking for us to make a statement like that, we're not going to, because the four of us don't hold that position. That, th that it's more nuanced, that there's a lot of things that we need to talk about and unpack. Yeah, I think that's true. And hopefully that's part of what we'll do in the show. But Father Sean, you make a, you make a really good point. You know, we, we all four of us try, seek to be uh, what Father Guy Mancini 
would have called a happy Catholic, right? We seek to receive the teaching of the church throughout her history and to understand where she has been and is guiding us. And there's there's no break that would allow us to say before or after, right? We're um, we're in the middle of the history of the church and the life of the church, and uh, the Holy Spirit's guiding us forward on that. Very good. Well, Absolutely. friends, we'll have more chance to continue this conversation on our wrap show of Sacrosanctum Concilium, including two fun segments that are on the way and our big reveal at the end of today's show, which looks at what we're going to be doing next. And hopefully you can begin to get excited about that. You're listening to Vatican U on breadboxmedia.com. We'll be right back in just a few moments. This podcast episode of Vatican U is brought to you by St. Joseph Shop of Batesville, Indiana. Find them on Facebook at St. Joseph Shop. St. Joseph Shop takes all recycled spiritual items, repairs rosaries, and can even build a rosary out of your grandmother's jewelry. And if you're fortunate enough to shop at the Batesville, Indiana store, expect to get sprinkled with holy water on your way out. Connect and ask questions at St. Joseph Shop on Facebook. Welcome back, friends, to what's this called? Bread? No, Vatican U. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Welcome back, friends, to Vatican U, um, or whatever we're calling it now on BreadboxMedia.com. You think I'd have it figured out by now? This because we have five thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been spending five months doing this. You know, have almost six thousand streams. Uh, it started in August. This is episode 17. You, you think I'd have it figured out by now, but oh, maybe not. The, the reason I'm so, so as I, I hear some people in my parish say, flusterated. <laughs> I love it. Is because I was looking at episode 17, and I can't help but think about episode 7. Because Star Wars is coming out. It's entirely possible that we won't have some of our listeners this weekend because they'll still be waiting in line to see <laughs> the new Star Wars movie, Episode 7. Nice. But that brings me to another very interesting point about Star Wars. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things we're doing on today's show is a little bit of Catholic News Desk. And there's a very interesting story that came across uh, the Catholic News Agency only only about two weeks ago. And I, I'm wondering if you guys have heard about this. Do you guys know Sir Alec Guinness? Do you have any clue who that is? Did he make the beer? Well, he might be related to him, but no, I don't oh. think he's... Uh, He's related to the, to the beer. He's, he's one of the most recognizable actors of the 20th century. Uh, he's been in tons of films, won many awards, uh, you know, very uh, regal, very British actor. So that means but, he was uh, either Dumbledore or, um, or um, um, what's the Lord of the Rings guy? Gandalf. Gandalf. <laughs> who's, who's Dumbledore? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's okay. That's a hair. It's a oh. Harry Potter character, isn't there it? There you go. There it is. Okay. No, he, he's neither one of those, um, but you're kind of on the rack, right track uh, on those great actors. Uh, Sir Alec Guinness played Obi-Wan Kenobi <gasps> in the Ridge Tridge, as the kids are saying. Oh, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. Exactly. 
That's the worst Princess Leia impression I've ever heard, but that's wonderful. Well, but with my headphones on, I look like I have the earbuds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so I'll wait, take it. Are you telling me that Obi-Wan Kenobi made Catholic news desk, I mean Catholic news agency's website? He absolutely did. Well, not not the character, but the, the actor, uh, Sir Alec Guinness. But yes. Wow. Wh- and it came up because a lot of people don't know this about him. But, um, you know, because in, in England, a lot of the people are at least culturally Anglican. But Sir Alec Guinness actually became Catholic about halfway through his life. And the reason he became Catholic was partially because of a miracle. No way. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting story. Uh, it, it talks about uh, Sir Alec Guinness growing up in London. His family was uh, kind of troubled, kind of broken. Um, you know, he... He was confirmed as an Anglican, but it, it kind of didn't really take. He bounced around. He tried out Presbyterianism. Uh, he was an atheist for a while, uh, got caught up in Marxism and Buddhism, and even went to a couple Quaker meetings. Um, so he was kind of shopping around, really, try- you know, I think as a lot of us do, kind of searching for meaning. But like any good Englishman in the early 20th century, because uh, remember, that really wasn't a big thing there, uh, he had absolutely no interest in Catholicism. Hmm. Um, but he he kind of s- regained some interest in Anglicanism uh, as he got a little older, uh, especially in the midst of World War II, because he was really looking for something. But what happened is, you know, again, he's a, a great actor. So he was working in France, you know, very Catholic country, and was working. At least it used to be. Well, yes. <laughs> there goes there goes all of our French listeners <laughs> from from the well, French Cana- Canada. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I have to worry about that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, anyway, he was in France uh, working on um, a film about Father Brown. Uh, you know, is based on one of mm. G.K. Chesterton. Now that's a cultural reference I get. You don't know who Dumbledore is, but Father Brown, you're on it. Yes, that's I'm awesome. on it. So he was playing Father Brown. Uh, he was playing. Father Brown. Um, and, and for those of our listeners uh, who know more about Star Wars than Father Brown, I'll just tell you, G.K. Chesterton wrote this uh, whole book series um, on this fictional priest, Father Brown, um, who is a crime-solving priest, um, you know, just kind of in his free time because uh, he was a, a brilliant man and he knew the rules of of logic and philosophy, I uh, was just able to solve things that other people couldn't solve. So he was he was playing Father Brown in the movie, and because of that, he was dressed up like a priest. And because of that, um, you know, a local child spotted him and thought he was a real priest. So I'm sure, as many of us experience at times, uh, the little kid ran up and kind of tr- you know trustingly took his hand and just kind of walked around with him and and just kind of knew, oh, this is somebody I can trust. This is this is a good person. Sir Alec Guinness, you know, he was really kind of moved by that. So. So he started to actually seriously think about Catholicism in a way that he hadn't. So that was kind of what was bouncing around in his mind. And it was about that time that his son got really sick with polio and thought was going to thought he was going to die. Sir Alec Guinness wasn't exactly sure what to do. So he started by dropping by uh, the local Catholic church just to pray. And again, something I think a lot of us do at times, he made a deal with God. He kind of said, okay, let's stack this. So he said, you know, if God were to heal his son, Matthew, he'd allow his son to become Catholic, you know, if he wanted. And, you know, that's the kind of uh, kind of bet that you shouldn't shouldn't make unless you're willing to follow through with what you make with God. With no explanation whatsoever, uh, Matthew just recovered. Wow. And so Sir Alec Guinness and his wife enrolled Matthew, their son, in a Jesuit school. And just a couple of years later, uh, Sir Alec Guinness, his wife and his son all became Catholic. 
And then because of that, um, obviously seeing God working, Sir Alec Guinness uh, remained a faithful Catholic until he uh, died in about the year 2000. So that's kind of an amazing story with all those kinds of things. Very timely, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but, you know, reminding us all of those kind of very interesting things about how, you know, God does answer prayers. And, you know, we do kind of sometimes bargain with God and, well, sometimes God takes us up on that. We should be careful careful what we ask for. And all of those really, you know, the, those ideas are searching. So I just thought that was really cool. And again, you know, uh, episode 17 that we're on, but really we're all thinking about episode seven here coming out. And well, right now, what do you guys think? That's really awesome. I mean, it's a, what a great story. I mean, the, the first thing that, that just triggers in my mind is, and hopefully we haven't lost that, or if we have lost it, hopefully the good work that the church is doing is is healing the wounds that were created, but the simple trust and faith of a child in the image of a Catholic priest that was his first um, entry into reconsidering Catholicism, that's a beautiful part of the story, you know, and um, certainly that's the iconic image of the Catholic priest in the community and being in the community. That's part of who we're called to be, and um, there's something beautiful just about that entree into into that being a moment of conversion, not so much for the child, but for the man um, who was at that at that point pretending to be a priest? You know, that's a really beautiful part of that story. But wow, Obi Wan became Catholic. I, th- that makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy inside. He found the real force. There you go. Uh, that re- it reminds me. Not that I'm going to do a whole other story, but I don't know if you guys saw another story. There was a guy in Chicago who put on four different uniforms for a day and just walked around town to see what it was like. You know, he dressed up like a doctor one day. Um, you know, had a medical coat and all that kind of thing, and he put on. Uh, one day he put on a cassock. He, he dressed like a priest. And he said that that was the most mentally and physically exhausting of all of the ones that he had done because the amount of people who wanted to stock to him, the amount of people who wanted to talk to him, the amount of people who just wanted a blessing and how, you know, how sadly he had to tell them that, well, you know, I, I couldn't really do that. How, how many people, you know, who seemed so destitute and so just lost, you know, were just looking for even a meal, um, you know, and he just kind of recounted at the end of all that. He said, you know, it's like more money left my wallet. Uh, it was more physically exhausting, emotionally <laughs> exhausting, um, and just everything down. And, you know, I, I kind of think about that too, even in, you know, uh, Sir Alec Guinness's story. It's like, yeah, there's, there's something about priesthood that it's beautiful because people can immediately identify us. And it's kind of exhausting too. Yeah, but it's that good kind of exhausting, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah. We had a we had a meal for some men that are discerning priesthood here in the Diocese of Lexington last week, and one of the questions that God asked was, you know, do you ever are there ever days that you regret being a priest or what it's like to be a priest or whatever? And I remember saying to them, you know, there's never a day that I regret being a priest. There are lots of days that are difficult days, and there are lots of days when I I know that I have not done a worthy job of bearing the mantle of the priesthood, you know, and not not only representing Christ well, but doing the best that I can to represent my brother priest well. There are days that I know that I failed at that, but in two and a half years of being a priest, I have yet to lay my head on the pillow at the end of the night and um, wished for a different life. And and that kind of reality is is something that, you know, I, I hoped for, I guess, if I would ever stop to think about it, but it's a reality that is beyond certainly our worth, and it's really one of the true blessings, especially on the toughest days, to be able to in, you know, in live in that reality. You know, sometimes it's the toughest days that I am most grateful for the vocation that I have. It's in those, sometimes in those really tough days when, when we have to turn to God's grace more and then we recognize how incredible God's grace really is in our, in our lives. Yeah, absolutely true. 
friends, thanks for thanks for joining us on this show as we wrap up Sankar Santum Consilium. We haven't talked about it much in this segment, but we hope that you uh, you enjoyed a little bit of behind the scenes in this segment with our life as as uh, priest uh, and what kind of how we look at stories like that, how, how other people have experienced on the outside and, and that what that means to us. Now, we are going to turn our attention back to Sankar Santum Consilium, maybe. That's the plan. <laughs> but as you know, the show doesn't always go according to plan, but we do have fun while we do it, so we thank you for joining with us. Please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or uh, leave a comment on our blog or our Facebook page. Join the conversation. Be sure to check out all the other great shows that are on Breadbox Media, breadboxmedia.com. We'll be right back after this short break. This podcast episode of Vatican U is brought to you by St. Joseph Shop of Batesville, Indiana. Find them on Facebook at St. Joseph Shop. St. Joseph Shop takes all recycled spiritual items, repairs rosaries, and can even build a rosary out of your grandmother's jewelry. And if you're fortunate enough to shop at the Batesville, Indiana store, expect to get sprinkled with holy water on your way out. Connect and ask questions at St. Joseph Shop on Facebook. You know, well, I'm a chicken fried, a cold beer on a Friday night, a pair of jeans that fit just right, and a radio world. Friends, welcome back to this wrap of the Sacrosanctum, Sacrosanctum Concilium edition of <laughs> Vatican U on Breadbox Media, episode 17, believe it or not, our, our concluding show on... Uh, the Second Vatican Council's Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. Um, we're here without our good friend, Father Jerry Bird, who's getting ready uh, for his installation as pastor and dealing with his liturgical device malfunction. And so we <laughs> offer him our love and prayers and hope that he doesn't burn down the church or himself or anyone else as he tries to resolve that issue. Does uh, anybody know what happened to his advent wreath? I, 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 I don't know. Maybe he was trying to make one bigger than the one that used to be at your previous parish, Father Sean. <laughs> Gosh, I hope foolish. not. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the text said was that he had problems with the Advent wreath, and I don't know what that means. How do you have problems with an Advent wreath? He well, said he it s- fell apart. <laughs> yeah, he said there was just Advent wreath everywhere. And I'm, I don't know what that means. <laughs> we love our brother and would only laugh mildly at his expense, but mostly in solidarity with him and hope that that goes over well. As Father Sean said, as he was wrapping the last segment, we really are going to get back to this uh, amazing document that, for me, brothers at least, has been a wonderful exploration of. I've enjoyed reading it slowly together with our listeners and learning more from each of you and even learning more from my own reflection. It's been good. But um, as we wrap it up, let's... let's um, Maybe each of us give some thought to um, either in our experience or in our perceived experience of, of most of the faithful. What do we think is perhaps the most overlooked uh, one or two teachings of the council that we've been exploring in Sacrosanctum Concilium? What is it that we think maybe is missing from the consciousness of the contemporary church as we experience it? Kind of a big picture thing for me is what seems to be overlooked a lot is what Pope Benedict called the hermeneutic of continuity, that we're not supposed to look at the Second Vatican Council as, as, a, as a rupture, as a break, that there was a pre-conciliar church and a post-conciliar church. But what he used in the phrase hermeneutic of continuity, a hermeneutic is a way of understanding something and kind of its basic definition. So 
the way of understanding the documents of Second Vatican Council is supposed to be biased towards continuity. That, that you shouldn't divide what happened before versus what happened after as though they're in conflict, but how they're supposed to mutually enrich each other and that they're supposed to be a flowing from before, through, and after, and that they're connected. And I think all of us can easily fall into the trap of seeing a break between the two, but I think we have to work really hard to see where that continuity can be. That's not a specific teaching from the document, but I think it's kind of a, a general teaching because the document does speak about that, about preserving what is good and true and beautiful. So that's kind of my, my first off-the-cuff thought about it. Yeah, you know, uh, in, in the Pope's um, statement to the Council Fathers, as they were voting on the final document, he speaks to that. Um, he, he says, there was no question of impoverishing the liturgy, but he said, rather, on the contrary, there was a wish to render the liturgy more pure, right? And he even says in, in that document, he makes a formal claim that there's no desire to break with what is established tradition in the church. And I think, you know, there's a big difference between what the Council Fathers gave us in the document through the work of the Holy Spirit that was overwhelmingly supported by the bishops of the church. There's a big difference, perhaps, between what we've done with the teaching of the Council and what the Council itself was giving us. And it's important, Father Son, you're dead on. It's important for us to to use that hermeneutic because it's the hermeneutic of the church, right? Everything is the unbroken tradition and handing on. And so even as the Council Fathers were teaching us and highlighting different things and giving us new facets to explore, to respond to our current age, it is the same church and the same liturgy. And that's that's a very good point. It may not have been said as expressly that way, but the spirit of what you just described is in the text itself, if we'd be willing to receive that. It's very good. I, I agree. Um, before you started talking, I was about to say something, um, and then you said it more eloquently. Um, but I was going to kind of get a little more specific and, you know, getting to the to the four points we heard about in our first segment, you know, that the faithful needs to be enriched by Scripture and not just the homily, um, but also through worship, we should both pray and learn. You know, I think what we're, what is most overlooked practically when we think Vatican II, um, we think full, conscious, active participation. Mm-hmm. And we think that that means we have to be saying something. Um, but you know that there there can be something active participation in the active receiving of that active listening of the active all of that, um, and that's kind of where I was going to go with that. But Father Sean, I think you kind of hit that on the head too. That you know it's like that continuity. So a lot of people you know kind of looked and saw like, oh well, before there wasn't a lot of participation, so that must mean to do this right, we have to do something completely different. Um, but you know that's kind of a little example of one of those like, well, no, those people who sit in church and they're quiet. They can still be very actively participating if they're being enriched by Scripture, if they're listening also to the homily, if they're learning through what's happening in their relationship with God. Um, you know, if they're not standing up and singing, it's not like they're not actively participating. And that's kind of one of those things that I think um, most often, maybe it's just something I encounter uh, up here in almost Canada. Um, but that's kind of <laughs> something I was thinking. I think people listen. You know, it's like, oh, why don't you open your hymnal? You're supposed to actively participate. It's like, well, yeah, we should be singing. But there is, you know, there, there's more to that than just being vocal. It's not like God has time to speak and the priest has time to speak and then we have time to speak. It's like, no, being active in all of that is actively listening as well. Yeah, I think, you know, even the person that comes to Mass who may join in singing the songs, but to all appearances on the outside may not be doing anything more, quote-unquote, actively. If they're doing all of that well, 
they're doing what you know it's the conscious participation it's the intention am i am i listening to what father says and responding to him am i listening to the leaders of of music ministry and letting my heart be in sync with them if nothing else am i attending to the reception of holy communion a lot of that full conscious and active participation can only be judged inside the heart and that's really important yeah you know i think there's one thing and i and i hate to say something that i think's pointed to uh, ourselves and our brother priests, but I think also I'd say this, it's something that the faithful should perhaps demand more from the, the the priests in the church. And it's early in the document when they're speaking specifically about the instruction of priests in the liturgy, and the document says, quote, something more is required than the laws governing valid and lawful celebration. It's their duty, and here they're talking about the, the priests of the church, it's their duty to ensure that the faithful take part fully aware of what they're doing, actively engaged in the right and enriched by it. And I think sometimes when we get the farthest off track that we often get, what we're doing is we're down in the minutia of the liturgy. And brothers, you know me and any of the listeners who know me know that I don't I don't think there's anything in the liturgy not worth talking about. I think it's important. But we have to take the importance beyond the rubric and help lay out for people why the laws of the liturgy are important and how that's deepening their faith. And yes, here's the reason why we need to follow that liturgical law more precisely. And I think if we do that more and more, and if all of us in the church, all of the faithful in the church, begin to seek that better understanding, then we're a better place. You know, Father Son, I think about the homily series you've been preaching over Advent, and that's actually doing exactly what the Council Fathers are talking about here, laying out the the signs and symbols and actions and the ways that we listen and the postures that we take even, and letting it be more than just a rule and let it become something that we all understand that invites us into this beautiful, deep mystery. And I think that part's often overlooked, and we can all do a better job of doing it or asking for it, uh, depending on um, the, the appropriate case. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. No matter how basic something may seem that we do as Catholics, it's always good to step back and 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 think about and appreciate again why we do it. Mm-hmm. Because for those of us who go to Mass Sunday after Sunday, or for priests who have multiple Masses every Sunday, there's always the danger of it becoming routine. Yeah. You know, a related question, and we've only got about two minutes left, but a related question is, what might we propose to our listeners as one concrete, real-life thing that they might do in response to this 17-episode journey that we've taken through this Constitution? Um, What are are some of your thoughts Call on me. Call on me. Call on me. Father Whittington, what is your response? (laughs) Uh, Last week in my, my sermon series, the challenge that I laid out to people was to to respond to an idea that Matthew Kelly put forward of having a mass journal. So take a notebook to mass with you and listen for a word or a phrase or something from the homily or some insight in prayer that you get and to jot down the mm-hmm. that simple thing, the word, the phrase, the the thought you had during mass, to write it down in a in a mass journal so that you can really help the experience of the Sunday liturgy to begin to form every day throughout the week. So I don't know if I said that on the show before, but I just want to say it again because I think it's a really good idea, and I think it can really help a lot of people. Yeah, so that's good. There you have it. Father, that's me. I'll stop talking now, Father Chris. One thing we can do based on that, you know, I, I think 
I, I know I've mentioned it before, just as Father Sean has mentioned the prayer journal before. Um, I think maybe uh, something small we can do is just have intentionality. Um, you know, kind of what I was I was mentioning earlier. You know, it's like if we're gonna if we're gonna listen in mass, be intentional about listening. If we're gonna be singing in mass, be intentional about singing. Um, adding in that little bit of intention into what we're doing is a way to focus on you know even what Father Allen mentioned. Um, you know, that Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, Lex Vivendi, that, you know, if, if we're learning, if we're participating, if we're listening, um, that we're doing it intentionally, then, then things are going to go well. Awesome. Well, we did loop back to talking about the document, actually, and probably a few more things we'll talk about in the document in the next segment. Again, thank you for joining with us on the Vatican U radio show, Weekly Walk Through the Teachings of the Church, brought to you by Breadbox Media, what you can need for the journey we call life. We'll be right back after just a couple of moments. This podcast episode of Vatican U is brought to you by St. Joseph Shop of Batesville, Indiana. Find them on Facebook at St. Joseph Shop. St. Joseph Shop takes all recycled spiritual items, repairs rosaries, and can even build a rosary out of your grandmother's jewelry. And if you're fortunate enough to shop at the Batesville, Indiana store, expect to get sprinkled with holy water on your way out. Connect and ask questions at St. Joseph Shop on Facebook. Welcome back, friends, to episode 17, The Vatican U Awakens. Our... <laughs> I love it. Was, that, was that a little better than last time? Do I, do I think I know a little bit more about what I'm doing? Also, because really, Father Jerry's not dealing with his advent wreath. He's just napping. So that's perfect. <laughs> no. <laughs> perfect. Well, uh, in all seriousness, this is our, our rap show on Sacrosanctum Concilium, and we're glad to have you back as we move into our final segment on Sacrosanctum Concilium. Well, you know, I just got to say, brothers, it, you know, I had great hopes for us when we started, but... I suppose there was. A they were dashed. <laughs> <laughs> After episode one, you were like, "Oh my gosh, unbelievable!" No, that just was Leo like Brown. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was Leo Brown who was like, "Really, <laughs> really?" <laughs> no, I. But I really, you know, before we start talking about where we're going to move after we finish this wrap of Sacrosanctum Concilium, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm so grateful just for the, the crazy seed of this idea and all of us kind of jumping off this cliff together. And I know each of us in our different contexts have heard in one way or another that it really is beneficial. I think looking back on the journey, one of the coolest moments for me was recognizing, um, and, and, and I, I totally learned it from Father Barron um, off his website, but recognizing that... Um, Pope John Paul II did as bishop in Poland exactly what we're doing, and he felt like it was a really important part of really getting to the part where, where the Second Vatican Council is is really integrated into the DNA of the Church, and that is just a, a careful, enjoyable reading of what the document says. And I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity to be a part of that, and, and I know it's been something that many have taken um, taken great joy in and learned a lot. So just reflecting on that, and you know, in in the season of um, the winner from the voice being a good old Harlan guy, which is in the diocese of Lexington, and and uh, in big reveals, it's probably time um, for Amen to bring us the sealed envelope that tells us what we're doing next. Yeah, because the envelope might actually be Leo Brown saying, "Great, you finished <laughs> that document. You guys are done." <laughs> <laughs> 
if we open it, it's on pink paper. We're in trouble. <laughs> well, we actually are able to reveal to our listeners our next two major movements that really are probably be moving through the spring. And I think perhaps it'll be good for Father Chris, and he can even explain to our listeners why he's one of the right ones to reveal this to our listeners. But our next immediate move is going to be something that hopefully we're all excited about. Father Chris, rip open that envelope and make sure it's not our pink slip from Leo Brown and tell us all what we're going to be doing immediately next. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not not pink paper, so that's great news. Good. It says that our next thing is to look at Misericordiae Voltus. Mm. Yay! Now, I know we've talked about it before, but let's uh, let's give our listeners just a quick primer again on what that is. Well, that is the document put out by Pope Francis, which initiated this extraordinary jubilee year of the Year of Mercy. Mm. And Father Allen, I think maybe you had me talk about that one because I, I can read Latin since I had studied it for a whole bunch of years. But maybe more more appropriately, because you know a lot of the things that are happening in the year of mercy. I don't know in your guys's diocese, and I don't want to jump the gun on this a little bit. Um, but you know, in in following with the Holy Father, we have a couple holy doors that have been designated in our diocese, uh, which are kind of designated pilgrimage sites for this year. But Father Jerry and I actually, right after Christmas, will be going to Rome and we'll be actually be able to walk through the holy doors at St. Peter's and at St. John Lateran. And it will actually be there the day that the holy doors are unsealed at St. Mary Major on the Feast oh, of, nice. of God. Um, you know, so I, I think maybe that's why why Leo through Amen um, has given us this next topic because uh when we you know, pick back up after Christmas, um, Father Jerry and I will kind of have a little bit of a unique perspective, not just from the things we're doing in our parishes and our diocese, but you know, we'll have participated in a little bit of that global pilgrimage, having just come back from Rome. Very nice. Good. And then after that, we're going to make a big swing in, in um, topic. We're going to do several shows on the Face of Mercy, the Papal Bull on the Extraordinary Jubilee. And then, Father Sean, because I'll let you do the announce because I like being the drum roll. So what are we going to do after that? Father Sean, take it away. The envelope is opened, and we are going to be looking at the Council's Decree on the Means of Social Communication Inter Marifica. Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah. Is, that, is that the pronunciation, Father Chris? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hit your yeah. mute button. Unmute. Answer the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say that sounds good to me. I say you get Terrific good style guy. points. You get good style points on that. Absolutely. You, in I our do find it somewhat ironic. You had, you, you know, that was what I announced. The one person on the show who does not use any social media. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might learn something about the reason why we should. You know, that kind of thing. We were talking as we were making that final decision. Just about it's an overlooked council document, and and some people might say, you know, do we really need to read that? But wow. Even though the Council Fathers couldn't have envisioned the means of social communication that exists today uh, when they wrote that document, I know there's going to be good stuff in there that can guide how we all make use of, either as a consumer or a producer of social media, that will guide that. So I'm really looking forward to beginning that as, uh, as the second next bin in our journey. That's good. H- here we are with, with a time to make 
uh, our last words on Sacrosanctum Concilium. Now, first of all, I'll say there's no way for us to make real last words on it because uh, one of the things we've learned from the document is that the liturgy touches every aspect of our life as Catholic Christians, and so we're going to be returning, certainly, to the teaching of the Council in many ways. But it's time for uh, our three hosts to make a last word, at least for this exploration. I drew the first last word, and uh, I think for my last word, I'm going to go back to that question we were talking about just in the last segment. What's one real-life thing that all of us can do um, as a result of this teaching? And I, and I want to go back to this ancient principle that has been um, that just follows me around wherever I go, and, and the idea of the law of prayer is the law of belief, but also the law of living life. And here's a practical thing that I think all of us can do, and that is, you know, when we're at Mass and we find ourselves noticing some intricacy of the liturgy or something about the movement of it that we've never understood before, I think a very practical thing we can do is commit to ourselves to find out why we do it that way. Um, ask the priest, look at the liturgical books, ask somebody else, why is it that we do that particular thing in that way, whatever's piqued our interest? And then the second thing we can do is take that to prayer and say, okay, Lord, what is that teaching us about living the Christian life? And how can I let that thing that we do in the sacred liturgy not just be an intellectual pursuit, but how can I let that change the way I go about living my Christian life at the desk and at the grocery store and in the voting booth and in community and in family and whatever else? Uh, and I think, you know, that's really the fruit of that full conscious and active participation that the Council Fathers wanted to get us to is how can we let the liturgy really be the school of the Lord's service and train us to be better Christians um, so there's my last word. Find out what we're doing in the liturgy that piques your interest and let it be something that can be life-changing for you from there. Well, I just want to say thank you. As the next person who has the, the last word, you stole everything I was going to say. <laughs> Oops. Thank goodness I went first. <laughs> yeah. oh. So here I am. I'm scrambling to think, well, what can I say as my last word? Everything that you just said is what I, I would you know, encourage people to think about, to do, to, to, let, to live the liturgy as the cornerstone of your life, because it is the place in which we encounter, we have a guaranteed encounter with Christ in our spiritual life. To be a disciple is to be a, a person who lives the liturgy. So there you have it. Everything Father Allen said, plus live it. And I don't know how we were wise enough to do this, but it's the best call that we've ever made. Mm -hmm. Of the four of us, Father Chris is the one who truly, we all want to hear the very last, last word on Sacrosanctum Concilium. Father Chris, don't let us down. Wow us. Give us your last word. You know, I think this is worth going all the way back to the very beginning when we started this whole series. And Father Allen, you mentioned it just briefly at the beginning of this segment. But, you know, the most important thing I think for us to remember, even in the midst of what liturgy means, even in the midst of it being a community action, even in it the midst of being enriched by scripture, it being the place where we pray and learn, uh, it being something that involves, you know, appropriate enculturation, is that we still don't have this really figured out yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I think we told the story of two councils way back at the very beginning, uh, kind of that recap that Father Dennis Robinson uh, was telling us as Father Allen and I were uh, about to head out into priesthood in our last year of formation, that, you know, it took a good hundred years for us to really figure out what Trent was all about. It took us a good hundred years to really figure things out. And, 
you know, as Father Allen, as you mentioned, you know, just because we're wrapping on this document in no way means that we're wrapping on what it really means, that there's still so much more to be explored, so much more to to be preyed upon, so much more to be engaged with until we really figure out what the impact of this document will have on the church. You know, we're still in those very early days of Sacrosanctum Concilium. You know, we're still in those early days of figuring out what it means and, and to not say, well, okay, we're done with that. And so we can walk away from it and never pick it up again, even though, you know, we're not going to formally look into it, have two minute drills on it. I'm sure this document and things we've talked about here will come up in every other part of the show, as long as Leo lets us keep going. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, you know the, even though we're rapping on this, to never really stop delving into the treasure trove that is the wisdom of the church, to never stop looking and studying and praying with all of the things the church gives us. And that's my last word. You know, don't ever stop. Don't ever think you're done. Keep going. There's always something, uh, something more. Uh, you know, blessed prayer here, Giorgio Frassati, you know, towards the top. There's always more. We're never really quite there. Very good. Well, brothers, excellent rap show. Uh, sorry that we had to miss Father Jerry, but he's in our prayers, and uh, we'll look forward to recapturing him uh, after we have the Christmas celebrations. And uh, it's been a great adventure. I look forward to the next bend in the adventure. Father Sean, can we have your blessing before we wrap this show? Yeah, for the prayer, I'm going to draw from the uh, paragraph five, the document. God, who wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, who in many times in various ways spoke of old to the fathers, to the prophets, when the fullness of time had come to send his Son, the Word made flesh, anointed by the Holy Spirit, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the contrite of heart, to be a bodily and spiritual medicine, the mediator between God and man, for his humanity, united with the person of the Word, was the instrument of, of our salvation. Therefore, in Christ, the perfect achievement of our reconciliation came forth, and the fullness of divine worship was given to us. Through the merits of Christ, the one whom we worship is the source and summit of our faith. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, there you have it, episode 17, the new beginning and ending of Sacrosanctum Concilium on Vatican U. We'll look forward to meeting you again. Um, in the new year as we begin our look at this extraordinary year of mercy and the Holy Father's uh, papable misericordiae voltus. Until then, you're listening to Vatican U on Breadbox Media. Find out all that you need, bread for your journey, at breadboxmedia.com. Check us out on iTunes. Find us on our blog at vaticanuradio.com or find us on Facebook at the Vatican U Show. God bless. We'll see you next time. This podcast episode of Vatican U is brought to you by St. Joseph Shop of Batesville, Indiana. Find them on Facebook at St. Joseph Shop. St. Joseph Shop takes all recycled spiritual items, repairs rosaries, and can even build a rosary out of your grandmother's jewelry. And if you're fortunate enough to shop at the Batesville, Indiana store, expect to get sprinkled with holy water on your way out. Connect and ask questions at St. Joseph Shop on Facebook. Breadbox Media invites you to connect with us. Visit breadboxmedia.com to download the app, connect with us via social media, give us your feedback, get to know your show hosts, find the program schedule, and more. Breadboxmedia.com.